for checking out the Hope Culture Church podcast. To learn more and to stay connected, visit www.hopeculturechurch.com or follow us on social media at Hope Culture Church. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us today. Happy 4th of July weekend, as Ryan was saying. We're so thankful for the freedom we have to worship God together. I can't wait, and I look forward to the day when we can do that in person again. But I'm also excited about what God is doing right now in this season. Let's not discount what's happening. I think people are growing. I think we have more time with our family. I think we have more time to spend with God, and I'm hoping that we don't miss out on it. And so I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited about what God's laid on my heart as we continue our series, we're in the middle of a collection of talks called The Moral of the Story. The Moral of the Story. And we're talking about the parables of Jesus, the stories that Jesus told. And we all love stories. Learning in story form is a great way to learn a big truth in an easier way. And Jesus is a master storyteller. And so we're going to continue looking at some of the stories Jesus told. But before that, I kind of want to address this tension that many of us feel now and all the time. As Christians, we'll often see what God is up to and doing in our own life or in the world around us. And then the next moment we'll see like injustice and things that are going wrong and pain and suffering. And sometimes we're just like, man, I can see God clearly moving here, but in this area, I, I can't see him. Where is he? What's happening? And there's this tension that we feel. And maybe you're not even uh, a follower of Jesus, and maybe that's even one of the reasons you're struggling with faith or, or wondering if this is what's for you. And you're getting a little insight into the, a real thing, a tension that we as believers often face. But Jesus is not unaware of this, atten- of this tension of the coexisting of good and godly things and evil and injustice in our world. And I mean, many of us are experiencing it right now. I know I've had prayers specifically answered during this season. God has provided for us in really cool ways. He's done other things. He's moving in certain ways in our family. He's doing things in the church. People are are following Jesus in new and significant ways. Cool things are happening. But at the same time, we see racial injustice going on. We see the pandemic that's, that's affecting many people. Other people are out of work and there's financial stress and, and things like that. And sometimes we can just be like, God, I can so clearly see you moving. And other times we can just feel like, God, where are you? And it's something that we all wrestle with, that tension of the in between. And it's with that lens that I kind of want to jump in and actually pick up where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about the parable of the soils. These four different soils, they all receive the same seed, but all of them have different responses to them based on how they are. Are they rocky ground? Are they good soil? The birds come and get it. All of those different things. And that's all in Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus picks up and actually tells eight parables in this one chapter. And that first one is a little different. And then from there, he starts talking about the kingdom of God. He says five times, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And so we're going to pick up there in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. It says, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? 
An enemy has done this, the farmer explained. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell you the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them and put the wheat in the barn. So Jesus shares this other story, you know, a good farmer went to plant good seeds in a good field and all these things are good. And then during the night when everybody's asleep, the enemy comes and plants bad seed. And as it begins to grow, you can't tell at first. They're growing together. There's wheat and weeds right next to each other. And there's a specific kind of weed that actually looks like wheat. And that's the word that's used here. It looks the same early on, um, so it's hard to tell the difference. And so it's not until a little bit later that they notice they're growing side by side. And so they come to him and they're like, do we rip it out? And he's like, no, leave it. Because if you do that, it's going to hurt the good wheat that's right there. Jesus tells two more parables right after that. And then they go to a house. And when they get to the house, the disciples ask him, what did that mean? Like, can you explain that to us? And so Jesus, after he left the crowd, he replied to them in verse 37, The son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. And the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send angels, and they will remove his kingdom, everything that causes sin in all who do evil, and the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace. Then there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should listen and understand. Even after Jesus explains it, it's it's a little bit discomforting. You're like, that that doesn't necessarily feel good. That's not necessarily what I want to hear. Well, stick with us. I think we actually will leave at the end of this message hope-filled and encouraged. So Jesus is explaining that he is the owner of the field. The field is the world, and he sowed good seed. The word good is repeated over and over, and it produces a good crop. It's good. And the enemy, who's the devil, Satan, the enemy of our soul, comes and plants in the night. And I wanted to point out really quick, it's when often that in the night, when God's people are asleep, when things are happening that we're not paying attention, that the enemy moves. He tries to imitate, he plants fake weeds that look like the wheat, and he does it in darkness. He tries to secretly do it. He's an imitator, but he's also a deceiver. And what happens is the workers come to the owner of the field and they're like, didn't you plant good seed? And, and we know the answer is yes. Jesus explains it, that it was good seed and things like that. And they're like, so where did this come from? How did this happen? And I love this because Jesus is acknowledging that there's times where we'll wonder, did you do this? Like, this is not good. And the angels in the story are the ones who are actually like, did that happen? Like, was that you? I, I know you planted seed, but now there's bad things growing in the same field at the same time. And Jesus is like, no, that was the enemy. And I, I want that to encourage us really quick, that just because something's happening in our life doesn't mean that we should instantly blame God. He's the one doing good. Jesus said that he came to give life and life abundantly, and the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy And so Jesus is okay with our questions, with us coming to him and being honest. But he also points out again and again, no, that's not me. 
the, the injustice you're seeing, the evil you're seeing, the things that are happening, that's not him. So then they're like, in, they're zealous. They're ready to fix the problem. We need to do something about this. There's weeds growing with the wheat. Should we pull them out? And Jesus says, no. Let them grow together. We'll sort it out later. And I think we often are like that, where we're just ready to fix the problem. We want the kingdom of God to come and change everything instantly. We want things fixed. We don't want hunger and starvation in other parts of the world anymore. We don't want people losing their jobs. We don't want racial injustice. We don't want these things. We want them reconciled. We want the kingdom of God. We want what Jesus prayed, that heaven would come to earth, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he often doesn't move at the same speed we expect him to. He, he tells them to leave it, to let them grow together. Jesus is okay with the discomfort of good and evil coexisting. He's okay with those things happening at the same time. And the problem is we want to sort it out now, and he says he's going to sort it out later. He's patient. Peter talks about the patience of Jesus and the patience of God, saying God's patient. His desire is that no one would perish. His desire is that everybody would come to him. He's not patient in the way we expect him to be. But his patience is filled with kindness, with love, with the bigger picture. God often is thinking in nations and generations when we're just thinking here and now. He sees a bigger picture than we do. You know, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's generations. He's thinking further and farther ahead than we are. He sees how connected things are. He sees the bigger picture. And his goal is that we would see heaven on earth. See, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was good. We know it was good. And it didn't last long. By, by the second page, everything's already messed up. And we see that earth and heaven are now separated. But when Jesus comes back to earth, it's the beginning of that changing. When he begins his ministry, he begins preaching, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. It's starting. And so we get this idea and we hear the phrase, here and not yet. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully realized. It's like these overlapping concentric circles where heaven is invading earth and we are seeing the kingdom of God move and grow, but it hasn't been fully realized. At some point, it'll be sorted out. The, the bad will be taken and the good will be moved and, and things will be restored to the way God intends them to be. But his heart is that no one would get lost in the process. His heart is that people would change and have a turning of their heart and come to him so that they could be and experience the good wheat, that they'd experience what heaven is like, that they'd usher in and have eternal life. It's a powerful thought. And what's cool is what he follows up with. Immediately afterwards, in Matthew 13, if we pick up in verse 31, he teaches another parable. It says this, He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the vegetables and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky can come and nest in its branches. And this is a cool, really short story. It's only two verses. 
And Jesus says a mustard seed, which is the smallest in that culture, this tiny seed that's the size of two millimeters, it's the size of a pinhead, grows into this massive tree, he calls it. It's a giant plant. It's like seven to ten feet tall in that region. This little tiny thing grows into this huge thing. And Jesus says that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's subversive. It changes things, but it's not as quickly as we expect it to. It starts small. It's inconspicuous. Some would even consider it insignificant in its start. It's just a tiny seed. And so this is often how God works. Jesus is born in Nazareth. That's the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. But Nazareth is just a small little village. They think at most it had 400 people. It's, it's, an, it's just nothing compared to what else was happening in that region at that time. And so even in Jesus' beginning of his ministry, people are like, isn't he from Nazareth? And they, this is in the Bible. It says, what good can come from Nazareth? Like an inconspicuous start. He's born in a manger. He's born in a feeding trough. He comes riding in on a donkey when they're expecting somebody who's going to overthrow the government. It should be triumphal. He should be on a horse. So often the kingdom of God is different than we expect it to be. Things start small. We can't despise small beginnings. God doesn't always do things the way we expect him to. In fact, Paul writes this, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So many things are upside down and backwards when it comes to the kingdom of God. You want to be the greatest? You need to be the least. You want to be first? You need to be last. If you want to gain your life, you need to lose it. Leaders are servants. The the kingdom of God is so opposite of what we are used to. It's all about small beginnings. There's this pub in Oxford, England. It's called The Eagle and the Child. And uh, a ways back, there was a book not a book club, but a writer's club that used to meet there called the Inklings. And there was, there was a couple guys who would get together and they would share their stories that they were working on, their, their, their um, fiction novels that they were writing. And they were Oxford professors. And one of them was this guy named John and another one was one named Clive. And they would trade stories and read each other's stories and, and critique it and, and work on it and things like that. This little writer's club that met in a pub produced J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, these huge, um, amazing novelists who wrote these great stories. And if you think about the insignificance of what is happening in that moment when they're just hanging out, reading each other's stories, what grows into being the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings, the impact that's had on the way people view and see God, it's amazing. And that's so often how the kingdom of God works. It starts in something small, something you don't expect to have a, a big impact, and it grows and grows and grows. It's like a tiny mustard seed that grows into a big plant. I love what Jesus says in this section. You know, he says, so that. If you're at home and you're with somebody else, turn to him and just say, so that. We're going to talk about the so that for just a minute. Because there is a so that that happens here, where this tiny tree, this tiny seed grew into a large bush, a big tree, like nine feet tall. And it says, so that the birds of the air can come and rest in it. And he says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
And that's really interesting. And as you, as you study it and read it, you realize that he's talking about Gentiles. He's talking about people outside of the Israelites, of the Jewish nation, who are coming and going to be part of the kingdom of God. This thing that started small is going to grow, and it's actually going to be for more than just you, is what he's saying, the audience he's talking to. And that's how God works. He works with small things that grow and have a big impact, but it's never just about us. And so often we're about the here and now, and God is about nations and generations. He sees a bigger picture. What he has for you is not just for you. God's so that is so much bigger than our so that. The reason we want God to do certain things is for our own benefit oftentimes, and God wants to work in us and through us so that others may benefit as well. I think that is so cool. There's a domino effect that happens in the kingdom of God. What starts small grows so much bigger. Our decisions have an impact. The things we do, what started in a tiny pub, had a a great impact in C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien's life and ministry. That's how Hope Culture Church started. It started with Abigail and I feeling prompted that this is what God has for us and then talking to a few people about it and then having a handful of people in our living room, you know, 15, 17 people gathered together just to pray. But we also realized we weren't the beginning of it and we weren't the end of it. That there's people who've been praying for God to move in our region and in our cities for a while. And we were part of that solution, part of what God had for it. But it wasn't just for us. It was to have a great impact beyond us. It's like D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody is a famous evangelist. He started Moody Bible Institute in Chicago where Abigail and I went to school and met. But he had an enormous impact in the kingdom of God. But he came to Christ because he went to Sunday school one time and a Sunday school teacher was just faithful and obedient. And the ripple effect of that is big. One Sunday school teacher led Moody to Christ who led many to Christ. And if you follow that a few generations later, he had an impact on Billy Graham and his ministry. So the impact we have is so much bigger than we often see. God works in the future. He thinks nations and generations when we think here and now. There's a domino effect. There's a a sociologist, one of the pioneers of sociology, really. And in 1936, he wrote this article called The Unanticipated Consequences of Purposive Social Action. A really long title. But really, what it boils down to is the idea of unintended consequences. Have you ever heard that phrase, unintended consequences? He's also the guy who came up with self-fulfilling prophecy and the idea of a role model or a reference group. A, a large sociologist, Robert K. Merton, but he came up with this idea of unintended consequences, that we do something for a reason and we have an intended outcome. But even outside of that intended outcome, there's always unanticipated consequences. There's unintended consequences. Other things happen as a result of that as well. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that. It's a mustard seed that grows into a large tree. And the goal of that is clearly the growth of the kingdom. But even bigger than that is that the Gentiles, the the birds of the air could come and land there as well. There's a ripple effect, a domino effect to the things we do when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's like a commercial. You're watching TV and it comes on and says, this medication will help you sleep. Side effects may include you know, all these terrible things and you may die. But there's good unintended consequences and there's bad. 
Oftentimes, when God is calling us to do things, it seems insignificant. Why does it really matter if I pray that person? What, I know I'm, I'm feeling prompted to love my neighbor in this way right now. What, what difference is that really going to make? And so often we don't see what God is doing behind the scenes. Which leads into that next parable that he shares. The third one in a row. And he, he says this in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread through. That's a lot of flour, 50 pounds. Some, some people even say it was 60, depending on the translation. And so he takes this yeast, but really the word there is leaven, which is a little bit different because they're not just taking yeast. They're actually taking a piece of last week's dough and mixing it into this week because it's already fermented. It already has yeast inside of it. And they mix it in into this large 50 pounds of dough. But what happens? It becomes hidden. It's gone. But yet the yeast spreads throughout and it causes all of it to rise. I think that's really cool. The kingdom of God is often like a mustard seed. It seems insignificant, but it has a big impact later. It's also like leaven in that it becomes hidden. You don't always see what God is up to, but it just spreads. And so we feel this tension where the first parable we started with today, Jesus is saying, it's okay, let them grow. Let good and evil coexist. Let these tensions be there, but also don't underestimate what's happening behind the scenes. Don't underestimate the insignificant things. Don't underestimate the hidden things. God is on the move often in ways we don't expect. And so there's this tension there. He he says this in Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God does things differently than we could expect. So often, We're like those workers feeling that zealousness, like, can't we just fix this now? Can't we just uproot the weeds? I want heaven on earth. I want things reconciled. I want these problems to go away. I want my sick family member better. I want this problem of racial injustice gone. I want the pandemic to be over. I want all of these things fixed. And we do. And God does too. That's not him who caused it. But at the same time, he's not always doing things the way we expect him to. Sometimes he answers that prayer instantly. Other times he lets it be there, but he expects us to be doing what we're faithfully called to do because we're part of the kingdom of God. We're part of his solution. When Peter preaches right after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, he's preaching and it's recorded in Acts chapter two. He says, this promise is for you and your children and their children. This is something anybody far off in the future who believes will receive the Holy Spirit. He understood that God is up to something big. We're so often here and now. God is so often nations and generations. And so Peter understood that this is something that's bigger than him. That there was going to be unintended consequences. That the kingdom of God was going to continue to grow and expand. So as I was studying these three parables next to each other that Jesus teaches, I was reminded of this verse in Galatians. Paul writes this down. He's writing a letter to the church in Galatia. And he says this to him in chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. I don't know if that resonates with you. 
sometimes we feel like, what difference is it making? We're not seeing the things change that we want to as fast as we want to. Is it really matter if, I, if I'm loving or not to that person right now? They're kind of on my nerves. Is it that big of a deal if I, if I miss this opportunity here or if I do that? And there's grace and forgiveness in, of all those things. But what Paul is saying is, let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We underestimate what we, or we overestimate what we can do in the short term, but we underestimate what we can do in the long term. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts small and grows. It's like a piece of leaven. It spreads throughout all of the dough. God is on the move, and he's inviting us to be a part of it to be a part of the kingdom advancing and coming here on earth. Let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's not give up on doing the right thing. The way we're raising our kids matters. The way we're loving our neighbor matters. The way we're interacting with the people around us matters. What if we didn't give up? What if we continued to live the way God was calling us to? Paul, he's talking to a younger pastor, Timothy, and he tells him, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set for an example everyone in your faith, love, speech, purity, and conduct. What if we lived like that? What if our social media life looked like that? What if our interaction with our neighbors looked like that? What if at the grocery store we looked like that? We were setting an example in our faith, in our speech, in our purity, in the way that we lived. It would make a difference, not always as quickly as we think, but it will. It's like a mustard seed or that piece of leaven. It spreads and it grows. The kingdom of God is about multiplication, not addition. Don't give up in doing the right thing. For at the proper time, we'll see the harvest. We want things fixed here and now. God said he'll sort it out in the end. Let's just do our part and be faithful. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We trust you. We trust you to sort things out in the end, to separate the weeds from the wheat, to restore things to the way you intended them to be. God, we do ask for heaven to come on earth as Jesus prayed that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray that we would see real lasting change in our families, in our workplace, in the things going on in our country, in all of these different areas. We pray for sick family members to be better. We pray for uh, financial stress to be fixed. We pray for those without jobs to have jobs. And at the same time, we trust you and your timing. We trust that your ways are not our ways, that your thoughts are not our thoughts. We know that you're for us. We know that you love us. We trust that the things that we're seeing that aren't what you want aren't from you. We know that you're good. Would you help us to be faithful? In Jesus' name, amen. The reality is that parable that Jesus starts with, there is a sorting point, that there is a point where he separates things and things are restored. The good news is he wants everybody to experience eternal life, to experience what he has to offer. That's why he's patient. Peter says he's patient. And so if you want that opportunity to be part of the kingdom of God, all you need to do is acknowledge Jesus as your king, to to put him first in your life, to admit that you need him, that you can't do this on your own, that you've fallen short of his standard. 
believe that he made a way for you to be in right relationship with him, that he died on the cross to restore you, to give you new life, to forgive us, and then choose to follow him. It's that simple. It's not always easy, but it's simple. We just need to choose to make him in charge of our life, to participate in what he's doing, and to trust him the whole time. If that's you today and you want to pray, I'd love to pray with you right now just to to start following Jesus, to, to make him in charge of your life and to become part of God's family. Will you pray with me? God, I admit that I have not always lived up to your standard, that I've fallen short at times, but I believe that you love me. I believe that Jesus came and died for me so that I could have new life. I thank you for that. And I choose to be part of what you're doing. I choose to be part of your family and to follow you. I want to live for you. Would you fill me with your promised Holy Spirit and change me? In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that today, I'm so excited. We talked about a couple weeks ago that there's a party in heaven every time somebody chooses to follow Jesus. And we're celebrating along with heaven and along with you. And we'd love to know that you made that decision. If you made that decision, you can text today to the number on your screen. And we'd love to just follow up and and, and just congratulate you and resource you in any way as you begin your journey of following Jesus. We're thankful that you're worshiping with us today. I hope that message encourages you. We have the opportunity to participate in what God is doing on earth. It may not look the way we expect it to. It may not be in our timing, but it is making a real difference. Let's not give up.